Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Bill Tyne, the Vice President of Marketing at King Arthur Baking Company. On the show today, we talk about his refresh of the brand. It's a 230-year-old brand, the process that he went through, the research and insights. And we also talk about the impact of the current months on his business and the explosive growth that they've had and how they've had to adjust. The company's recently seen a 153% increase in the number of pounds of flour sold and calls to their baker's hotline. That, that's one eight. Five five three seven one two two five three, or bake as the last four digits, almost tripled between March and May of 2020 from the year prior. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Bill Tyne. Well, Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alan. Glad to be here. Having the VP of Marketing at King Arthur Baking Company, I have this urge. I, I need to ask you, what's your favorite recipe? That might be the hardest question I'm going to answer this whole this, this whole interview. <laughs> There's so many, but you know, if I'd have to to pick one, and 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 I'm not, I'm going to tell you two. Our no need harvest bread is one of the recipes I I bake frequently. It's a it's this awesome hearth bread that's got dried fruit like raisins and cherries and nuts in it. And then we have we have a uh, a cake, a, a Caribbean rum cake that is a holiday fra- favorite that I love. 
those sound fantastic, especially early this morning. I haven't had a proper breakfast yet. I want, I want both of them. That's awesome. Well, you seem to have an interesting path. I was looking at you know your background and going from what it looked like management consulting to publishing media and then ultimately to marketing at King Author. Tell me more about your path and your journey that you've been on. It's been a, a somewhat of a winding journey. Early in my career, I had an opportunity to work at, I was at, working at a consulting firm and my main client for a number of years was actually NASA. And of all places, especially for a science geek like myself, it was really exciting. You know, my, one of my major products was projects was valuing their assets in space. You know, at the time they had, I think, 32 assets in space that they owned. And that just is an interesting experience, both in terms of working with, with government and, and to some degree bureaucracy that falls in place, but also the you know, anything is possible approach that, that I saw at NASA. From there, I, I actually went back to, to graduate school and got a business degree. And that was a real pivot in my career where I saw so many people and, and met so many people at school that had different experiences. And that got me to think, what do I want to do in, in a career? And, and media uh, or entertainment was something I really loved. I ended up working in what I would consider enthusiast media, which ended up being food at the beginning, but then started to include other things like woodworking and, and, and home building and gardening. And I love the connection to the consumer and like what we are offering. Because I was working in, in food for quite a while, I met folks up here at, at King Arthur and, and over a number of years kind of developed a relationship and, and eventually found my way here, which couldn't, couldn't have been better. I've been here for a little over 10 years and it's the favorite place I've worked so far. Yeah. Well, the company has, I was reading about it, has just, just this tremendous history. I mean, it dates back to 1790. I think that makes it 230 years old. That's unusual. You know, like it's not, and especially in America, right? I'm sure there's companies in Europe that are older than that, but that's an unusual age for a company to get to. And you recently launched a name change and a new logo and identity. And I'm just curious, you know, why make the name change and logo change now? Well, 230 years is a long time. I think one of the things, it's so long that we actually usually try to give a reference point. And so oftentimes I, I'll say that George Washington was in office when, when our company started, which is incredible. I think one of, we're one of the 10 oldest companies in, in the country. And what's amazing is we started selling flour. And I think that's very unique that, that over the course of multiple centuries, we're still in, in the same business that we were that when we started. So that puts a, a big weight on our shoulders. I think we have been a flour and baking company, actually, for a number of years. And we felt that it was the time to really make sure that, that we were communicating to our consumers that this is our focus. We're not expecting to broaden outside of baking. And, and, and we wanted to make sure that, that consumers knew that, that that was our focus. And then also as a, a platform to enable us for growth, appealing to a larger audience, wanted to make sure that that flower and our name King Arthur Flower wasn't limiting us. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I'm curious how you thought about the rebrand while staying true to that long heritage and the values that the company has. You know, a lot of brands I've seen over the years can potentially lose their way frankly. It usually happens when a founder leaves, you know, originally. You guys are long past that. But how did you maintain your heritage and, and values through that process? Yeah, it's interesting because we, we certainly have, are past the founders, but we still have a big connection to our history. We are actually 100% employee-owned now, but the fifth generation of owners actually still live in town. And they, they were the ones that sold the, the, the company to, to the employees decades ago. And 
their values are something that we still talk about. Brennan and Frank brought a lot to the company when they were involved, and the employees here still still look to them and look to their what they left us with. And so that's something that we want to c- continue to carry on. We, we often say hey, we're 230 years old, and we want to set ourselves up for another 230 years. And that's the, the type of time frame that, that we think about. And so it's certainly something that, that, that weighs on us, and, and it makes a decision like this you know, really important. I think one of the things that has been helpful to enable us to do this is our team's been in place for a decent amount of time. Our senior creative director, our head of creative, actually has been here for a little longer than I have. I've been here for 10 or 11 years. And that helps because we've, we've built a lot of trust and, and understanding of who we are and, and what our history has been. And so that, that, I think, really set us up for success. No, that makes sense. And not only the building trust, but also gives you time to really absorb and understand the brand, I'm, I'm assuming, too, the ethos of it, if you will. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'd love to geek out a bit, if you don't mind, and talk about the process you went through to start this journey, if you will, and any insights that you gleaned along the way. So like, where did you start this process, if you will? You know, it's interesting. I'd say I've been here for over 10 years, and I think we've been talking about a change like this in in terms of shifting to a baking company for quite some time. It was about 18 months ago that we actually committed that to, to doing this project and started the the wheels turning. But going back to something I just said, it, it, it's, it really helped that our core team had been here working together for a while because something like this, especially that involves a significant creative process, does require trust. And, and we are able to be very open with one another. So nothing's held back. We also have lived our brand for a number of years and, and know our consumers quite well. I don't think that limits our need for research. I think it, it actually instead gives us a better perspective on how to conduct research and, and what insights we need to pull out. And so that's that's actually one, one of the places we started is, is really diving into consumer research, making sure that we we're looking at multiple consumer segments. This is a trusted brand with a lot of long-term customers. And we wanted to make sure that we are living and, and upholding their values and what they think of, of us. While at the same time, the whole purpose of, the, of one of the main purposes of, of the project is, is really to enable us for growth, growing our our customer base. So we wanted to know and hear from consumers that aren't buying our brand, what they think about us. And that was really important in the process. And and that initial research really set a baseline that we'd be able to come back to time and again to test throughout the process. Got it. And double clicking a little bit, I guess, on the research you were doing, like what what type of research was it? Was it qualitative, quantitative, a mix of both? really trying to understand? A mix of both. One of the things that, that really helps us is that we've developed this really great one-to-one personal connection with our consumer. It, it partly is because we have a strong direct-to-consumer business. Also, we have a really strong social media platform and programs in place like our Baker's Hotline, which is a free hotline where you can call and talk to a professional baker any day of the week. And those types of one-to-one connections are really helpful because doing research requires that type of, of engagement. So we did surveys of our current customers as well as potential customers. We also had one-to-one sessions and then just also gleaned a lot of insight from data sets, whether it's social media responses or other data sets that we could pull in. And, and we took insight from all of those areas to really come up with what I would consider and what we, we labeled territories. Like what are the target territories that we're trying to achieve in this process. Was it as you went through that and you were collecting the data, you know, both qualitative and quant, like were 
was it a slam dunk? Was it like every all lights were pointing in the direction you you felt like was the best direction to move, or was there any tension in it? I guess I'm just curious. I wouldn't say tension. I th- I think for the most part, it was a lot of the insight was obvious. Isn't probably the right word, but but it made sense. Some things that some some of it we were expecting, some of it wasn't a surprise, but was something new that we we heard that that really made sense and quickly pointed us to to the direction we wanted to go. And a lot of it was complementary in terms of customers or or non-customers, what they are saying. Current customers certainly have a lot more history. And so that also turned up in, in the research that, that they weren't necessarily looking for a change all the time, but they are still establishing a baseline of what they felt about the brand, which was great. So that later on in the process, when, when we were actually showing them either potential designs or our final design, it was coming back to that research and, and making sure that we were coming up with the right approach. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. I think what I've found in, in, in my line of work as well is the if you've got the right direction, you know, the right orientation, it can be a fairly natural evolution. <laughs> Obviously, there's little bumps in the road along the way, but uh, it sounds like that's kind of it was kind of a natural fit or natural evolution for you guys. Definitely a natural evolution, but the creative process was was challenging and we knew it would be. And and we fortunately picked a group we worked with an agency, Little and Company, um, and Mike and the, and the team there, their process fit our approach really well. And one of the things that we really liked is that they had us participate from the beginning in terms of the original stakeholder meetings through design exploration all the way to selection. And I remember one of the pivotal moments was when our team was looking at some of the early exploration that they were doing. And, and we've sat in a room and looked at probably 75, maybe 100 different logo designs. And, and they were they were explorations. They weren't finished. And that helped us really narrow our focus. And that was important because we had a pretty good understanding of what we wanted to see out of a new logo. But if we hadn't seen such a breadth of options, I think we would have been left wondering if we explored thoroughly enough. And, and, and their process really worked for this because it is challenging to, to make this type of a shift. And, and I think when we came out of it, we were really confident we were making a good move. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad it's it's went well. And I think with the recent success that you guys have had, I mean, I was reading with we're living through this pandemic, overstated but unprecedented times. Everyone keeps talking about, and it seems that these stay at home orders have been really, really good for your business. With 153 percent increase year over year in pounds of flour you're being you're selling, and I I know just in my own house, you know, baking is happening a lot more than it used to. <laughs> how how have you guys you know adapted to that that new demand, if you will? Well, interesting. We have a we actually are in a number of business segments, and we have a you know I think what most people see is our our consumer you know, the, what we sell in grocery stores. We have a food service business selling bulk baking products like flour to artisan bakeries, a lot of bread bake, a lot of artisan bread bakeries. And so the stay at home orders with this huge shift in consumer behavior to eating at home. And so that clearly drove a lot of an increase in grocery store purchasing. At the same time, our the other side of our business was potentially seeing challenges. Although, as it turns out, it's been amazing to see bakeries really get creative to make some pivots in their business. And, and, and we haven't seen it much of a decline there. And so we've been trying to look at it from multiple fronts because we do reach consumers in many, many different ways. I think the interesting part from the home side is that baking has become at times a new national pastime. You know, it, it's something that people can really dive in, whether it's a 
meditative or stress relieving activity or an activity to do with their family and their children, or in many cases, something they want to, you know, put their mind to and, and develop a skill. And that's kind of where a lot of times I lean back on my experience as, as in media and, and the fact that we're in this unique category that it's a hobby for people. <laughs> and we've seen that a lot. You know, we've seen people wanting to, you know, really hone their skills, you know, in bread baking or sourdough bread baking or pizza. Pizza's become regular occurrence. We have a, a, a pizza recipe. We, we have a concept called recipe of the year. And our current recipe of the year is a pan pizza, crispy, cheesy pan pizza that millions of people have hit that that recipe page in the last six months. And the stories we hear are people try it and then over the course of the next month or two, make it multiple times each week because it really is a fun thing to do with your family, but also makes an amazing home pizza. I'm going to have to try that recipe. I haven't tried that one yet. <laughs> so It's amazing. It really, it's, it's, it's an, an awesome. And, and, you know, even for a beginner baker, it turns out perfectly. Nice. Nice. Well, you're adapting to these business shifts, these consumer shifts that are happening, just behaviors in general are changing during this time. It's also not an easy time. I can only imagine to keep a company going, right? Like a lot's going on in everyone's personal lives. There's virus circulating around the around the community. Was there anything that you guys had to do to adapt just to keep keep the business going as well, to, to react to the demands and shifts that were happening? Yeah, I would say anything and everything. Um, <laughs> it seems, I mean, it, it was months ago. It seems like a lifetime ago that even week one, when the stay-at-home orders were put in place, we shifted over the course of a week to going from mostly an in-office environment to an entirely at-home for the administrative staff. And that's really challenging for, you know, certainly our, our flower operations team that is managing orders and and the connect connectivity, VPN access, any kind of technology brought challenges and our team shifted almost seamlessly. And so I, I would think some of those moves are maybe maybe in hindsight are some of the most important because we were able to to bring our technology to all different places. But the emotional side is probably the other one, you know, staying connected, supporting one another because each of us individually is in a different scenario. It could be we have young children and we're trying to manage their schooling or potentially our parents or grandparents, and we're trying to help help them out because they're in a different situation. So each of us has, has a different need. And I think I've been excited and proud to be at a company like ours that has a culture that is just very supportive. There's also just like lot logistics, you know, operations things that, that we've been able to do to manage this huge influx. And that takes a lot, that takes a really strong team and a lot of creative thinking because manufacturing facilities need to make changes. Adding second shifts was like theoretically doable, but then you have to find find people to staff those shifts. And and across the board, I think every single department here had to be creative and, and be quick. I think speed was was definitely a, a big challenge. Yeah, it seems like more folks that I talk to, there's kind of like two words that come to mind as I summarize what I've heard from other people is like this exceptional need for additional focus and weeding out the things that are not necessary and focusing on the things that are most important. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. And then flexibility, right? Like flexibility to get the job done. And it sounds like you guys are experiencing the same type of success to do that, I guess. I would absolutely agree. Yeah, that sums it up really well. You talked a little bit earlier about just the engagement level of how you guys engage with your customers and your prospects. You, you get the D2C connection, Baker's hotline. And, and I saw a stat that uh, you've had like triple the volume in the <laughs> during the last few months to that Baker's hotline. How are you engaging with customers and prospects? Like what are all the ways, um, besides, maybe besides the hotline? Yeah, so we've built up over years a lot of resources for bakers. It's really the core of of our approach that we want to help and inspire, and that'll that'll help the the category. And 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 as the category grows, will it will grow. So we, there's a lot of things. Our bakers hotline, you know, I think is unique. It's it's uh it's been in place for for years, probably 25 years, and it's a free hotline. People can call in seven days a week, and and now it's grown to also support social. So it's, it's a, you know, you can call in a, in the phone, but also you just, you know, chat with us or send us a message through any of the social platforms. We staff that with professional bakers, culinary school trained or, or actual professional bakery trained. And that's important because as people engage with us, they don't necessarily want to engage with a marketer. They want to engage with a baker. And, and especially right now, when, whether you're a new baker and you have a question or you're really like honing on, on something really challenging, you can call and talk to a really seasoned pastry chef and get help as you're baking, which is important. So that's, I think that that's one of the more unique ways, but we have a, a ton of content that we've pivoted quickly. I would say that one of the first things we did was pivot to create more content in different ways. We have, we have multiple people filming videos on a daily basis in their home kitchens. And that's really helped. We, we, launched a an hour long baking show called the Isolation Baking Show that aired every Friday for a few months with Gazina Bullock Prado and Jeffrey Hamelman. We are just finishing up a series called Bread School where one of our uh, head bakers Martin Phillip uh, really goes in depth into, you know, some of the science and techniques of of bread baking and a number of different series and and resources, a lot of it video but but also in written form as well. And those are things that people can get inspired by, get help from, and and really see us as a resource much broader than just a product company. I love the, all of those things that you just mentioned. One comment you made that I want to circle back on, because I think for marketers, this isn't always a logical move. You said, you know, we're focused on growing on category growth. And from there, our growth will come something to that effect. So that's a really important concept. Um, I mean, folks I've had on the show that people will have listened to, you know, like um, Byron Sharp, probably the most recognizable who wrote the book, How Brands Grow, Australian academic focused on like, you know, um, evidence-based marketing would echo the exact same thing, you know, with the data that he he focuses on is, is focusing on the category, the things that drive that category and trying to drive category growth and identify your own brand with that category is one of the most important things you can do to drive your own growth. So I just wanted to, to hit on that because I think that's a really vital perspective, if you will. I think it's important because even if at times it feels challenging because you could potentially be lifting your competitors as well, I think inherently it's not, even though the, the goal is to lift the category, 
it's the reasons behind why the category would would be growing or why, you know, for us, why we're getting more people into baking that's going to resonate with consumers and they're, they'll see us as as that leader. And because of the positioning we have, we're, we're in all cases, we're the premium product, we're the, we're the product that that offers you know, some of the best results and we're the brand or the company that's going to be a partner with them. It really reflects well in when, when you're at that premium level, I think other brands that might not operate there could have a different approach, but I would still, I would still recommend that, you know, that the category growth is still going to be your best approach. Yeah. And I think what you, you just mentioned is where marketers get wrapped up, right? Is like, well, if I focus on the category, I'm going to help my competitors. And it's like, yes, but the goal is to distinguish yourself, you know, not, necessarily differentiate, although that could be a, a part of your strategy, but really just distinguish yourself from them such that you garner more of that growth than they do, right? Like, like it doesn't, consumers are coming to the category for their own needs and benefit. They're not coming to the category because you're there, coming to the category because they want to achieve some goal in their life, some basic need. Right. It's definitely their path to the category and also has a, a really good benefit that we're partnering with our retailers because they need they need category growth. I mean, they certainly love to see when we grow, but their goal is category growth. That's a good complementary benefit. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. That's an excellent point too. Well, what advice would you have for marketers looking to either engage their customers or drive growth during this, this challenging time, if you will? Yeah, I, I take it from the, some of the success we've had that if you haven't already built your own audience that you can reach, then I would start there. This is a great time to do it. And most importantly, it'll name, enable you to extend your growth long after we beat this pandemic and the pandemic ends, because the ability to, to reach out directly to your consumer is really important. And then the other thing I would say, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier, just speed, speed up your processes. <laughs> In normal times, I'd probably say this as well, but right now, consumer needs are shifting rapidly. Opportunities present themselves regularly. And, and whether it's product development or promotional strategy, or messaging, speed to market is critical. And I think we're seeing that now as a massive shift to different versions of e-commerce, whether it's click and collect or delivery at home, and a shift in what consumers want and how they want to get it. And so I think, if anything, making sure that that you know, the marketing team is, is ready for that for that speed. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Well, I want to switch gears a little bit. One of the things we like to do is, uh, is to get to know the person behind the microphone, as well as you know, what they're doing on a day-to-day basis in their job. So one of my favorite questions to ask is, has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Certainly. Experience, you know, I, I think personally, it, it's people that have, have defined me probably more than experience. My, grandpa- my grandparents, you know, came from different backgrounds. My father's parents were immigrants from Italy, came over here at a young age and had to find their way. I mean, I, from, what I've, from what I've heard, my grandfather was apprenticing in a barber shop when he was 14. So certainly different labor laws were in effect at the time. But they were they worked hard to 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 make a life for their for generations to come. And and my my mother's grandparents, you know, lived a little further out in the country and had a you know a big garden in their backyard because that's that's what kept their their family going for a long time. And I think that's important. You know, also just I, I ended up working at a baking company. And I look back and I I find it interesting and early on in my high school career a new kid moved to town and and lived near me and and we got introduced we were both playing on our high school football team and we became you know really you know he was one of my best friends growing up 
and his family owned a bakery and, and he actually lived above the Italian bakery for, for a lot of his years. And, and I look back with and, and laugh at that because if I was sick or, or, or if something was going on, he'd bring over, you know, Fagliatelli, like a big box of Italian pastry for me. And on the flip side, he'd always come to my house because he never was able to get a brownie at home. Brownies were not part of like the Italian bakery repertoire and, and he would come over weekly to make to get you know my mother's brownies and so i look back at just like the interesting effect baking had for me growing up and i I think a lot of those things are really interesting from a work work standpoint i think some of that has also really defined me i mentioned nasa and working at nasa was just amazing one of the one of the projects i looked into was the voyager probes which yeah i i I don't remember all the details now but i think launched in the in the late 70s so now they're you know almost 40 years old and they launched with like a mission of a couple years and and 40 years later they're still they're still working and the concept of what you can do if you put your mind to it's pretty amazing and then i'm just thrilled that i eventually got into kind of this enthusiast category whether it was media or a cpg company focused on baking from the media perspective i i learned early on you know the saying is content is king and you really have to be hyper focused on your audience. When I was at, I worked for a little while at um, America's Test Kitchen, which is a television show and Cook's Illustrated magazine. And we'd survey customers after every episode or after every issue of Cook's Illustrated and ask what what they they liked about it. And we joked because they always mentioned vegetables and seafood. You know, they always mentioned the healthy stuff, <laughs> but they always bought meat and potatoes. <laughs> and just to you know, just that that. that making sure that you really understood your consumer data and your consumer research was certainly a lesson learned I learned early on, which was great. And I'd say the last thing was every single person, especially managers, we all can remember probably more so some of our, our worst managers, but the experiences of like a really challenging manager or, you know, more importantly, hopefully the, the experience of just having a really supportive manager as I, as my career has kind of progressed, you know, is, is important to me and making sure that, that that comes through both in how I operate uh, here, but also how my peers and, and, and other folks in, in the company operate. If you were starting all over, what advice would you give your younger self? That's a big question. <laughs> 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 yes. From a philosophical standpoint, I think, you know, especially now seeing what's kind of going on culturally in our country, you know, being more proactive about being inclusive. I fortunately grew up in a community that equality was the norm which is actually a great thing. And I think that's what we should strive to become. But the reality is that that's not universal. And I think it's upon all of us to be more proactive about making sure everyone's included, everyone has a seat at the table. And that doesn't mean just like making sure there's a seat at the table, but actually inviting people to sit down. I think it's just important. And, and you know, certainly is on my mind a lot right now. And I think that's something I would make sure was, was a priority early on. And then also just explore, take advantage of every opportunity. You know, I think I've done that quite a bit in my career and my life, but, but looking back at, at times, I'm like, oh, I wish I, w- I wish I spent a little more time doing th- this or that. And, and I think those two things really stand out. That's great. This next question is kind of a silly question, frankly, but I've kind of liked where it goes sometimes. <laughs> it's wondering if you've made an impactful purchase for yourself in the last, say, year, six to 12 months or so of $100 or less and, and what that might have been. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, uh, interesting bar for, for impact. You know, personally, I think every time I take my kids out for ice cream is impactful. So, so maybe that's it, but two interesting things. I'm, I, I think it's hard, you know, right now it's, you know, what's, what's most recent, recent and what's, what's been an interesting purchase recently early on in the pandemic, I trying to help 
companies out here and there. I found a, you know, looking for food that could be delivered to home. I found this, this great place, Friends Ranches, which is a, a farm out in Ojai, California, and ordered some, you know, citrus fruit from them. And it was amazing. <laughs> so from an impact standpoint, like, like, wow, that, that was really, you know, incredible. And then this other thing is more technology. I recently just ordered something called a Loom Cube, which is like a little light to put on the back of your computer for video conferencing. And, and as I feel like the majority of my day is now in a video conference. That's got to have some impact. So I'll, I'll, I'll stick with those. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Yeah. No, those are, those are reality today. Uh, you know, better lighting yeah, or supporting, supporting, uh, supporting businesses that have been impacted. So that's great. Two last marketing questions for you. I'll ask the first one. As a marketer, we tend to, I think, be observant and, and you know, kind of students of what's going on around us. And curious if there's any brands or companies that you follow or causes that you feel like other people should be taking notice of. Yeah, I think there's some brands that, you know, clearly stand out that we, we maybe we all follow, you know, folks like Seventh Generation or REI that I think really stand out from their, their purpose-driven approach. Two that, that I look at, though, that are a little, that are smaller, certainly, and, and folks might not know. One is Tracksmith, which is a running running apparel company. And they have a really engaged running community. And I think their approach to that engagement with customers, their approach to product is just really, there's a lot of good lessons to be learned. And then another one, which is a retailer, Uncommon Goods. They're an online retailer. They're, they're out of Brooklyn. They offer this great assortment of curated merchandise supporting artists and craft, which is what their customers want. But they have these, they have a lot of programs that really make them a great employer. And then a great company to purchase from, you know, they, they give back a lot. And I think that's really important. And so, and I think that's a ch challenging from a retailer perspective. There's a lot of retailers that are almost agnostic of, of what they sell. Consumers are willing to buy it. They'll sell it. And, and I think Uncommon Goods just takes a, a different approach and really makes sure that they're, that they're offering curated approach that really means something. Yeah, those are great examples. It's funny enough because Tracksmith, to your point, is a smaller company, but you're actually the second person recently that have mentioned them. So I think people need to to just go out and, and research what they're doing. Maybe I need to go talk to their marketer, frankly. <laughs> but the uncommon goods, that's it. I like how you put that. It's it's the mix of what they're selling, but also you know the programs around it and, and the, the good that they're doing beyond just the, the retail function. There's another company I might put you on to the CEO and founder has been on the program a couple of years ago, I think at this point, but fits into your seven, your REI category called Cotopaxi. Oh yeah. I love them. Yeah. You should, they just live and breathe their purpose, you know, and they, they have great outdoor gear too. So like it's, uh, they're doing good and making good stuff. It's in my mind, it's like a, a mini Patagonia on the, on its way. <laughs> so yeah. We'll and, and they, I think, you know, from a consumer standpoint, I think they match up well with Tracksmith because they they operate differently. They have a great community, but their design approach is very recognizable. And so they, they don't blend in, which if you can pull that off is a great thing because people will know you. Yeah, no, agree. Agree. Well, at last last question for you. What do you feel like is either the largest opportunity or threat for marketers today? Let's tackle the positive first. So opportunity, definitely the ability to connect directly with consumers, whether it's with content through a direct consumer channel or through digital media. The consumer's moving quickly. There's an opportunity to shift, you know, to, they have opportunities to shift behavior and more opportunity to explore and find new things all the time. And, and what's interesting is I think they're more than more willing than ever to share, you might call demand, what they want. And if you can provide it, they'll get they'll latch on. And so I think that's a, a really big opportunity that we all have right now. 
something that I think falls in between how you look at an opportunity or threat, I would say technology is one of those big ones. I think oftentimes from a marketing marketer's perspective, we've often looked at, at people as like, are they analytical? Are they creative? And I think in, in that sense, you need a blend at times. You need people that are both. And I think technology is going to become the same thing, you know, whether it's understanding of privacy laws or the ability to connect a digital ecosystem or the ability to understand how how e-commerce is really driven, that can't be something that your technology person takes care of. You know, I think everybody on our team has to have a baseline understanding of technology to whether it's create to map technology to creative or to analytics and understand how to, to connect all that data. So technology, I think, operates between that opportunity and threat. And, and then the one threat I mentioned already was speed. I think, you know, speed to, to market. If, if, if you can't react to consumer behavior at the speed they're operating on, then that's going to be a really real big challenge in the future. No, I agree. Bill, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, thank you. I uh, really enjoyed the discussion. And I'm going to probably go on Cotopaxi's website right after we get off. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market